right. John chapter 11. As we continue through this series, I Am, and we look at who Jesus is and the things that He says about Himself. Uh, and this week we're looking at where Jesus tells us that He is the resurrection and the life. So if you're a note taker, a couple of things I want you to write down. One is we see three things in this passage. First is Jesus is never late. Jesus has no limits. And Jesus does not lose. One more time if you're uh, not typing or writing fast enough. Jesus is never late. Jesus has no limits. And Jesus does not lose. Each week we've uh, looked at these various texts and we've tried to see them in light of what John says to us about why this book has been written. And in John 20, verse 30 and 31, Jesus did many signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by, leave, by believing in Him, you may have life in His name. So we're covering a lot of ground today, and, and that's okay. We're going to pick up in John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill. His name was Lazarus of Bethany, the village of, of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped His feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And I would think that any of us who've ever had a loved one who was ill, anyone, any of us who've ever cared for someone in a deep way, we have those in our lives that we believe, we really believe, these people need to know this information. We should make sure that we cover the ground and we touch all the bases and they hear what needs to be heard about our friend. Now, my last church uh, in Chattanooga, um, we had a senior pastor. He'd been there for 30 some odd, some odd years. And one of the things that he ingrained in us was to make sure that we connect to people when they're in the hospital. And for him, that meant that he would go to the hospital every day. It was part of his... Now, we were a senior adult heavy church. And he was at the hospital Every single day. I really he would park in doctors' parking places and I had to remind him, hey, your doctorate of ministry doesn't mean you can park there. Like you can't go into that slot for this. He knew all the codes to the random doors at the hospital. He could get where he needed to go. He did not just make sure that he did this. We would call, we would check, we would follow up, and you learn some things as a pastor of a senior adult heavy church. You learn that you need to touch base with people when they're in the hospital, whether that's a phone call or if you're in person, you also learn that when you visit many senior adults, they don't care if you're not the senior pastor. They just look at you and say, oh, it's cute that you came by. Where's the other guy? That, that's what I got asked a few times. And uh, so we would go by, and you also learn that if someone is sick, and it's a difficult sickness that looks like it's going to end their life, you make sure that you're there for the funeral. So, 
these sisters send message to Jesus, our brother is... Now, this is not a command. There's not even a tone of request with this. But using the phrase, he is the one whom Jesus loved. Like we, Jesus loves this guy. There is an assumption almost that he's going to show up. But that's not what happens. Verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. The messenger comes because they can't email or phone call or text message. This illness will not lead to death. The messenger goes back. Now, if you're taking care of a sick loved one, you know what that's like. If you've ever been around uh, someone who is on the verge of, of moving to be with the Lord, what you realize is it's, it's pretty gut-wrenching. And they're looking out the door because they've sent this messenger, which I would imagine is a pretty expensive process, waiting for Jesus to show up. Taking turns, Mary outside, Martha outside, looking around the corner. Will Jesus show up today? And Jesus doesn't show up. This sickness will lead, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son may be glorified through it. Now, we read this with, through the lens of 2,000 years of scriptural understanding. And we read this text, and I would imagine at some point in each of our lives, we've heard a sermon about it. The name Lazarus is one of the most recognized names in the Bible because of what Jesus is about to do. So when I mention to a group of church folk, that's who you are if you're here on Sunday morning, that Lazarus is, his sickness will not lead to death. You know the other side of the story. Mary and Martha don't have that. And neither do the disciples. Jesus says this sickness will not lead to death. Verse 6. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after that, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Now here's the problem with Judea. They have tried to kill Jesus multiple times in Judea. And if they're trying to kill Jesus, they're not really practicing their targets when they throw rocks at him. And the rest of the disciples are thinking to themselves, Wait, they tried to kill us in Judea. I'm not really into going back to Judea. Can we just avoid Judea altogether? Verse 8, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just seeking to stone you. And why are we going again? Are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. Referencing what we looked at two weeks ago, referencing what Steve looked at last Sunday, just for a moment, he sees the light of the world. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I need to go and wake him up. So, I don't know if it works like this at your house, but if you're not feeling well... And you go to take a nap. You don't want to be uh, startled awake. 
Now, when you have four, five, six, seven, however many children there are at my house, when you are taking said nap, you are inevitably, one, you're inevitably not going to take a nap. Two, you are going to be woken up unexpectedly. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to get him up. And when he does, the disciples reply, "Uh, wait a second, he needs to sleep if he's sick. Now, I'll read through this, and I think Jesus is probably looking at these guys kind of side-eyed. Anybody ever look at someone side-eyed? Like, you don't get it, you big dummies. That's how Jesus is looking at these disciples at this point. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. The disciples said to him, If he sleeps, he will get better. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant he was taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And then Thomas in verse 16, always the positive one. Um, Let's all go, that we can die with him. Thank you, Thomas, for making this trip so much fun. It's like a family vacation where you've got too many people in the van. Verse 17, now when Jesus came... He found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. That's a big Bible deal. And the reason for that is, when we look through the Scriptures, when we look through the history of the Jewish people, there was a belief for them that if you were in the tomb longer than three days, that you weren't just dead, but you were what we call dead dead. What we would call dead dead. He is really dead. There's no need to bother him. Let's leave him alone. Let's, let, let's mourn together over him. But he's gone. And many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. They kind of flip the script on this, right? You've heard the stories of Mary and Martha. Mary is which sister? She's the emotive one. She is the one who cares deeply, who is the life of the party. Martha is the one who works all of the time. She hears that Jesus has come. She no longer worries about entertaining all of the people who are in the home. She runs out to Jesus. And I'm thinking, just as someone reading the story from a third-hand perspective, she's probably not welcoming him with a tone that we would appreciate. She runs to Jesus, and here's what she says to him. When she heard Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Well, why would she think that? Jesus, I heard you fed 20,000 people with nothing. 20,000 people, many of whom you do not know. How could you not be here for Lazarus? Jesus, I heard you found a random blind man. And you made him to see again. How could you not be here for Lazarus? Jesus, you have worked miracles. 
for everybody else. Why don't we get a miracle? The land of if is a fun place to live. It's helpful. How big of a word is it? How many of us have evaluated trite situations and difficult situations and said something to the effect of if this had happened, then this would have happened. If I had applied myself more when I was in school. Anybody ever said that? If I had just played sports. If we had not turned the ball over. If, we had play, if I had played hard to get. If I had taken the roast out of the oven on time. It's wishful thinking. Not in the sense of nostalgia like as to what was. But Jesus, if you'd been here, things would not be like this. 22, but even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. If you've ever been in a receiving line at a funeral, you realize that it is uh, not easy. And if it is an immediate funeral, an unexpected funeral, it's even harder. And from everything that I've read about the death of Lazarus, this came upon them quickly. So Mary and Martha, they don't have any sense of time. They have no sense of what has taken place. They don't even know why it's taken place. They just believe if Jesus had been here, everything would be okay. And then they go into the mode where they just begin to speak church. And I, I, I want to be truthful with you. I, I think that lots of us kind of get there and we get there easily. When, when you're in the line shaking hands with everyone, you say the right things. You, you say the things that you believe should be said. And you say that what you believe should be said because that's what you want things to be. And Mary gives, or Martha rather, gives this line to Jesus. Whatever you ask, I, I know you can do it. What a great thing to, to believe. And I believe that most of us believe that in the ethereal sense, in the general sense. God, you can do whatever you want to do. Verse, the next verse. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now again, we're reading this backwards. She's hearing this in the moment, and her brother is, as we've said moments earlier, dead, dead. Rock covering the tomb. And Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. That's what good Jews believe. That that's what we're supposed to think. That that's why you think it. I know. This is referencing Isaiah 65 and 66 that every Jewish person would have some sense of. But Jesus is saying to her, he will rise again. And again, she's giving him what you believe you're supposed to say. Lots of us say that. Lots of us post that. Lots of us place that in our homes. What we're supposed to say. What we want to believe even when we don't really believe it. Jesus, I believe you can do anything. Your brother will rise again. I know. 
I know he'll rise again on the last day. And Jesus says to her, our verse for the week, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who leaves and believes in me, who lives and believes in me, shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said, yeah, why are you being so mean to me at a funeral? That's the tone that you have here. Yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ. I believe that you're the Son of God who is coming into the world. But with saying that, as to their interpretation and first century understanding of what it meant for Jesus to be the Messiah, though all of those things may be true, I've got a mess that you did not clean up. So keep talking to me all of your talk, Jesus. But that doesn't change the hurt that I've dealt with. Jesus has just revealed to her who he is in full with his words. She doesn't get it. I mean, she gets it, but she doesn't really get it. How often are we there? How often are you in the way that you see Jesus and the resurrection that he offers you there? Yeah, I get it. But in the way that we actually live, we don't really get it. In the way that we treat others and in the way that we see things, we don't get it. This lady has just said to Jesus, Jesus, you know you've got limits. If you'd been here, he'd be okay. So he's not okay. If you are who you say you are, then you could have done something. But even now, there's nothing you can do. And Jesus is speaking this truth over her that resurrection is not just a fact. It's not just a doctrine. It's a living, breathing person. Here comes Mary. Next verse, 28. She's looking a hot mess. And here's how we know. Mary has been with the professional mourners. Not those... Double A mourners. These are high-end mourners. The Jewish people, if even for a poor family, you would pay two people to come mourn the death of a loved one. And based on the number of people at this funeral, they've got more than two people. So, and they've been crying. Old school crying. Country crying. You know what I'm talking about. I remember when my great-grandfather passed away, I went to his wake. And though they had given my dad's family uh, hours to be at the funeral home, those hours, no one paid attention to them. So they said two to four and four to six, those are visitation hours. And I remember my mom putting me in the car to drive me home and me saying, hey, why is daddy not coming? And she said, "Uh, they stay all night. Tell me more about them staying all night was my question as a a seven-year-old child. No, they're going to stay all night and they're going to cry all night. They're going to weep all night. 
The idea that you get there, that, that even some people still do, is from this idea. She's been with these mourners. She is messy. She's filthy. They weren't wearing shoes. They're singing sad country songs. Everything about this is difficult for her. But when she sees Jesus, verse 28, when she had said this, she went, called her sister Mary, and saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and she went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, What? Lord, everyone, what's the next word? One more time. If. Jesus, you're limited in this. Jesus, I believe you could have done anything, but you, he's dead, and dead doesn't get, we don't get over dead. If. If. If you had been there, my brother would not have died. This is twice that Jesus had heard this. When Jesus saw her weeping, and all the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. That language doesn't quite get us to what Jesus does. Like that, that's the English Standard Version that I, that I typically read from, and some of you guys have other translations. In the original language, what the passage says to us about the way that Jesus expresses himself over what he experiences with Lazarus and his death and Mary and Martha and the mourners is that Jesus gave out a deep gasp. The original word, it, it's the word used for a horse's snort. He, this reaction to death. If you'd been here, verse 34, where have you laid him? And they said, well, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, it's the verse that every kid, if you've ever done a memory verse competition, this is the one kids go with first. Right? If you're asking kids to memorize verses, they find the shortest ones, and this is the shortest. This is the shortest it gets. Nine letters. Jesus wept. Where's my cookie? Why? What has Jesus set out to do? We should have some puzzles with why. What is Jesus going there to do? To get him out of the grave. No, to call him out of the grave. Get out of the tomb. So why is he crying? I mean, we're functional people. I, I live in engineer land. You guys are very functional with your spreadsheets. 
And with that, we, we can see, looking at this passage, react through the rearview mirror, that Jesus is going to raise him from the dead. What's the big deal? But he weeps. Because every time, like for any of us, when we attend a funeral, this is what we should think. Every time we attend a funeral, it is to remind us that God's creation was flawless. And this is not the way it's supposed to be. Romans 8 says creation groans out of anguish for the missing of God's original intent. Jesus weeps, one theologian says, only when we replace our high and dry picture of who God is and replace them with pictures in which the Word, who is God, can cry with the world's crying, can we see that what the Word God really means. How much of our understanding of God weeps over us because God fully interpreted weeps over death because of his care for the one who has died, but also not just because of the past, his care as to what will happen. Because when Jesus looks at this tomb, there is a day coming where he will be on the other side of it. There's a day coming where Jesus comes out of a grave. Jesus is weeping and outraged by all that has made death a reality. Rebellion and defiance. But the Jews misinterpret it. They say, oh man, look how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he? We've always got these dissenters, right? The whisperers, the people who question the decisions that everyone makes and why they would ever make them. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So Mary and Martha have watched their brother breathe his last. They've they've been there when he ceased to be. They were there to put him in a tomb. They were there to make sure the tomb was sealed. They called in the mourners. And all of this is almost out of a machine-like response. This is how we deal with quick death. Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. It's dark. N.T. Wright says, The new day is dawning. And though where we live, the night can be very dark, and tears can be very bitter, there is joy and light waiting that is not far away. The Jews were moved. Jesus said to them, Jesus was moved and said to them, Take away the stone. Now remember, four days. Four whole dead, dead days. And Mary, the sister, or Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Martha probably has Febreze ready for this. Because it says, she says, Jesus, he's been there for four days. By this time, there is an odor. Look, I don't typically go King James Version, but I do like what the King James here says here because Martha literally looks at Jesus and says, Lord, by this time, he stinketh. He stinketh. This is where this goes different than the other resurrection accounts. 
Like, this isn't the first time Jesus raised, raised, brought somebody out from the grave, right? Verse 40. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. Now, I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus has brought people from the dead before. He actually, uh, there was a man named Jairus. He went to the room of his daughter. She was uh, barely dead. Jesus brings her out and she's living. In uh, Mark chapter 5, uh, everyone had left. And Jesus brings the son of the Roman centurion back. And when he does this, it's done in private. But here we see the fulfillment of the reason John writes the book. He doesn't do this just for people. He does this so that everyone would see. And when he does this, he said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Now for Jesus, he's already, she's already told him some church talk. I believe you can do anything. You're the son of God. But when it gets real, and when it gets difficult, and when it looks like she's going to have to... Spray everything down. Hey, I know what I said earlier, but he's dead. How many of us live in the midst of hopelessness? Like we say things about our drug addict friends and neighbors and cousins and relatives... I really do believe that Jesus can heal that person that can make them better... But when we get into the place where the, the cliche, the rubber meets the road happens, our faith is lacking. We really believe, and I believe that God heals. But I know for me, there have been moments in my own life where I've struggled to believe. Do we really believe that this Jesus who we claim that we follow in every way can do the things that he says he can do? Like reality. Do we believe that the work of Jesus is reality? I know that you always hear me. But I said this on the account of the people standing around. I'm going to do this because they need to see me do this. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Lots of preachers like the joke. He was very specific that it was Lazarus so that the rest of the dead people didn't come out too. I don't know if that's true or not. That would have been crazy weird. Uh, y'all go back. You, you, class. Okay, so. <laughs> the man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen straps. And his face wrapped with a cloth. Walked out looking like a mummy. And Jesus says, Unwrap him. And let him go. 
Now, because Jesus is doing this not for the sake of simply the resurrection of Lazarus, uh, he's doing this for Mary, Martha, for the people who believe, I want us to consider a few things. Consider what Mary and Martha have walked through to be brought to this point with their brother. Consider how excruciating it must be that they have gone through the steps of doing all that you do to prepare for a funeral. They have made sure that he has a tomb to be laid in. They have made sure that the mourners are there. They have made sure that meals are there. Kosher meals, which are much more difficult. They have made sure that everything is in place for them to put a seal on this and for them eventually to be able to move on. And Jesus has just undone all of this. Every bit of it. And in, doing, in undoing all of this, Jesus is saying to them, what was is no longer. Because death doesn't win. We all know, we sing a song really, oh death, where is your sting? Well, the sting is when you're going through those things. And Jesus had just removed the piercing sting of death. Can you imagine the, the, what's happening in the hearts of these ladies as they have grieved and grieved and grieved and all that they grieved has become undone. I told Greg Smith earlier, I, I was in New Mexico and I took my laundry to have it washed and laundered and as I'm getting everything packed to wash and launder it, I was missing a sock. One sock of the 476 socks that I own one sock. I turned a hotel room upside down looking for one sock. I grieved the loss of my one sock. I was frustrated over this sock being gone. I had come to the conclusion that I would never see this dumb sock again. And it was going to drive me bonkers because I hate to lose stuff. And more importantly, I hate for my children to lose things. But I hate to lose stuff, especially the remote control. That's bad too, really bad. This was missing. When I get all of the laundry out, everything was there. And all of my conclusion was concluded. All of the things that I had processed in full now were reworked. Now this is over a sock. These ladies have put a stamp on this being over. And Jesus has just taken all that they understand about how this was over and he has said, no. Do we see that in the things that Jesus does in our lives? Unbind him and let him go. We also see this with Lazarus and the, the conclusion of his life or the, uh, I guess, the, where his life begins again. There are lots of mirrors between this and the death of Jesus. I mentioned one of them earlier. Uh, there are comparisons and contrasts that we can make. One of the compare, both of them would be in a tomb covered with a stone But Jesus is calling Lazarus out because Lazarus doesn't have power to come out of the tomb on his own. But there is no one who calls Jesus out of the tomb. He's on the other side where the darkness is and he sits up. 
Lazarus doesn't even have power to deal with his own grave clothes. Right? We know that. You can see that because he comes mummying out. That's not a verb. We're going to leave it like it's one. When he walks out, Jesus has to tell someone, unwrap him. What happens when Jesus comes out of the tomb? He's unwrapped himself, and the Bible actually says he folded it. He folded it. Who's that neat? Who folds the cloth? The one who has power over the death that caused him to need it. Jesus defeats death for Lazarus. And for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, he has delivered us from death in the same way. Now, we all know that Lazarus will die again. There's just some truths we can learn from the scriptures about this. For us to be born once is to die twice. For every person who is born, just born as a human being from your mother, you will die two times. You will die in this life and you will die eternally. The, the eternal punishment of the damned. The idea of you will be separate from God for forever on top of forever. But for those of us who are born twice, real death only takes place once for us. And that death does not... It ends with us being people who are in the presence of God forever glorifying Him. To, again, to die once or to... You are, if you are born twice, you die once. If you're... Uh, if you're, born if you're born twice, you die once. If you're born once, you die twice. Jesus has just defeated death for Lazarus in the way that he does so for us. We also see this in Revelation chapter 21 as Jesus makes all things new and makes all things whole. As John writes to us again, he says to us, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God who is with man. He will dwell with him and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye and this is what Jesus does eternally and death shall be no more. Nor shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Because the former thing the things when we lived in light of the brokenness of the world, they have passed away and Jesus has made all things new and all things whole. So do we live in response to a Jesus who can do those things? And do we want to live in light of how that impacts and affects us? I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. Wes is going to come and he's going to sing over us again. If, you have, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus, there's a possibility of that. That you've never given Jesus your life. You've never trusted him to be Lord and Savior of your life. You've never believed in him to do what only Jesus can do. If you would like to have a conversation about that, let me be honest and clear with you. If you are not in relationship with Jesus, then you will die in this life and eternally. But if you're here and you sense Jesus drawing you, sense Jesus calling you, believe that Jesus is speaking to you, that 
He wants to offer you a life that you can't have outside of Him. I'll be in the back corner of the room and would love just to look at Scriptures for you, with you, and show you what it means to to place your trust in Jesus as the one who is and only is the resurrection and the life. Maybe for you, you're here and you are a believer in Jesus. You have a relationship with Jesus. But you don't believe, you set limits as to what Jesus can do. Possibly you need to spend some time in prayer over that. Maybe you need to grab me. I'll, again, I'll be at the back corner. Maybe you grab a friend and you pray, God, I want you to do what you can do in this scenario. I want to believe that you are a God who is limitless. Jesus, I believe that you don't lose. I believe that death cannot defeat you. So I want to live my life like that. I've been looking at my life. And right now, Jesus, it seems like I don't... I take for granted what you've done and why you do it. So God, I want to set my heart, set my course to live as if there is no one who can defeat you. Possibly you're like the disciples earlier in the story thinking Jesus was just going to be late. I pray that you trust that he's not. That whatever you're walking through, he's there with you if you're a believer. And if you don't have a relationship with him, he's speaking to you, wanting to be part of your life. So we're going to sing. And again, if, if I'm necessary for you, I'm in the back corner. If you would just need to be prayed over, I'm there. Jesus, we trust you. We sing to you this morning because we believe that you can do what only you can do. We ask all this in your powerful name.